Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, welcome back to Adventures in the Old West. You know, Dodge City was the glory days of uh, Wyatt Earp, Bat Masterson, some of the other lawmen that uh, patrolled the dusty streets of Dodge City in the 1870s. But they were also the glory days of outlaws, too. Uh, Dodge City was a place where many of them either passed through, came to stay for a while, um, got into confrontations. And in my book, Dodge City, uh, I wanted to tell their stories, too, because they're very much a fabric of the, the frontier. And two of them that came by uh, were Frank and Jesse James. And they didn't come to Dodge City to do any mischief. Uh, they were sort of passing through, but Frank and Bat Masterson hit it off. They became friends, Frank James and Bat Masterson. And in fact, even though they would see each other several more times uh, and become correspondents, they were letter writers. This lasted until Frank's death, um, decades later, where they, they were correspondents. With Jesse James, uh, most of his story is pretty much well known about robbing banks, robbing trains, but what may not be too well known is that uh, in, uh, Jesse James was one of the uh, early explorers of the public relations world. Uh, he came up with the idea, that, that especially on a train robbing that he did in 1874, his gang robbed his train, and when they had finished getting what was in the safe and taking what the passengers had, jewelry, money, things like that, uh, he handed the conductor a, a piece of paper. And he said to the conductor, uh, I want you to give this to the next newspaper town you come to and, and, and have them print it. Jesse James had written a press release that described, in advance he'd written this, described the robbery he and his gang had just committed on that train. And sure enough, the next town that the uh, train came to it had a newspaper and the conductor produced it, this, uh, this press release, and it was published. And people around the country were reading about Jesse James, his, his, his adventures uh, written by Jesse James. Uh, John Wesley Harden was another one. He was the one that was known for a, a uh, uh, he had all kinds of uh, notches in his gun. He was kind of an indiscriminate killer. Anybody got in his way, he killed him. And he started doing this when he was still a teenager. Uh, he's associated with the expression, sort of like an explanation, I never killed anybody who didn't need killing. Well, he must have met met a lot of people who needed killing because uh, his guns were busy. Uh, when he was um, finally tracked down and arrested, he uh, was sent to jail. He got arrested because he had uh, uh, fled uh, Kansas and Texas and the places they were looking for him, and he went to Florida. And he was able to hide out there successfully for a few years, but then was eventually tracked down and caught by the Texas Rangers. He spent many years in prison. And when he came out of prison, he went back to Texas and he became a lawyer, of all things. Yes, he studied and he passed the Texas bar examination and became a lawyer. Uh, he also uh, was intending on going straight. He got married. Um, it didn't last too long, probably because by then he was in his mid to late 40s, and he married a 15-year-old girl. Uh, there was obviously some differences there. She left him after a while. 
And uh, he went about his business and he was visiting uh, another town. He was there for a trial. He was giving some evidence. It had something to do legally with the trial. And afterward, he was in a saloon telling a story to somebody. And a man walked up behind him, put a gun to his head and pressed the trigger. And that was the end of John Wesley Harden. Uh, strangely enough, the guy who killed him was a man named Slaughter. Uh, Clay Allison was one of my favorite outlaws from the book Dodge City. Uh, Clay Allison was, uh, was, had a terrible reputation, great reputation if, if you're an outlaw, but a terrible reputation as a human being, uh, for killing people. He was known as a shootist, which is, they called people who were gunslingers then or man killer. And he was, uh, had a, had a reputation as a man killer. And, uh, one day he came to Dodge City with the express purpose of he was going to kill Wyatt Earp. Now, why? Well, one story goes that Wyatt had shot a friend of his, a man named George Hoy. Um, Wyatt had shot him, didn't kill him, but he eventually died of gangrene. So I guess Clay Allison was uh, uh, upset about that. Uh, other accounts say that uh, there was a bounty on Wyatt Earp's head. Uh, he was not the marshal of Dodge City, but he was essentially the chief law enforcement officer there, uh, assisted by uh, Bat Masterson, uh, who at that time was, even though he was only like 23, 24 years old, had been elected sheriff of Ford County. And so the, the, the thought was that Clay Allison came to town uh, to collect that, kill Wyatt Earp and collect that bounty. Well, in any case, he showed up, and he also showed up uh, kind of quietly with uh, three or four uh, Texas cowboys, he was going to make sure that this went pretty well. So he instructed the cowboys to wait in a certain doorway. And when he made his move, if he just killed Wyatt Earp, then fine. They could go on their way. If uh, it seemed like it was going to be more of a, a shooting standoff or worse came to worse, Wyatt Earp killed him. Those cowboys was to burst from the doorway and shoot Wyatt Earp down. Sounded like a pretty decent plan. Wyatt had no idea about it. Although he was tipped off when Clay Allison rode into town and got off his horse that Clay Allison was in town. And chances are he wasn't there to do anything nice. Uh, but Wyatt Earp was never someone who would avoid a confrontation. He d believed in taking care of something head on. Not necessarily shooting it out. Uh, that wasn't his first option. But he wasn't going to go skulking around and waiting for somebody to find him. So he went down the Dodge City streets and then confronted Clay Allison. Now, Bat Masterson had also heard Clay Allison was in town. And he also assumed right away, well, this was not for any charitable purposes. So he got his shotgun out, and he went down another street, and he came up behind. He knew that Clay Allison was probably up to no good, even more than just being no good. And sure enough, he sort of stuck around a street, and he saw these cowboys lurking in the doorway. Clay Allison and Wyatt Earp were meeting in the middle of the street, and Clay Allison was surprised. You know, he was used to staring at a lawman. And just that stare alone, the lawman would say, you know what, I'm out of here. Uh, but Wyatt Earp was a different breed. First of all, he was taller than Clay Allison, and Clay Allison was not used to looking up to anybody. And he, Wyatt had these steely blue eyes that could get very cold when he was staring at somebody, especially an outlaw. And he was giving Clay Allison the stare. And it was obvious to Clay Allison that there was not an ounce of fear in Wyatt Earp. Okay, this is what, not what he anticipated. He started to wonder that he might not have a lifespan that was going to be very much longer than that particular day in Dodge City in 1878. So he decided, he said to Wyatt, you know what, I've decided that I'm going to leave town. I'm just going to go mosey away and, and uh, bid you a good day. And Wyatt Earp said, uh, that sounds like a good idea. You know, maybe we'll meet again. You know, not trying to provoke anything. Maybe we'll meet again. And that would, would have been it. 
except Clay Austin calls out to those Texas Cowboys, Okay, fellas, we're leaving. And then another voice shouted out, You bet you are. Who was it? Of course, it was Bat Masterson, uh, who had been in the doorway with a shot, and those Cowboys turned around, and there was a shotgun trained right at them. So that was another example, too, how Wyatt and Bat had each other's backs in Dodge City when they were still young men, still in their 20s, not the older veteran lawmen that, especially with Wyatt Earp, we see in the books and, and, and movies that have been made about him, the gunfight at the OK Corral. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Probably the worst outlaw that I wrote about in Dodge City, uh, which is out in paperback now, by the way, is Dirty Dave Rudabaugh. Now, they call him Dirty Dave not because he had a foul mouth, although he probably had that too. Uh, but he was not into hygiene. Uh, he, bats were, were alien to him, and he was actually a dirty guy. Um, he was also a very vicious guy, and he would uh, also, with his different gangs, uh, do robberies and murder sprees, banks. Uh, the, you know, They would just rob people they met on the trail, and sometimes they let them live, and sometimes they didn't. And uh, one time he was uh, he was he was tracked down, uh, and actually White Earp was part of that that effort to track down Dave Rudabaugh, and he and his gang were arrested. And uh, Rudabaugh got out of it, got out of a jail sentence because uh, he ratted out his own gang. He blamed everything on his gang, and he was sort of like forced to go along with them. Somehow, law enforcement bought this, or at least the court system bought this, and they basically let him go with a warning and jail the other guys. And uh, after he, he got shut of the law, he hooked up with Billy the Kid. Uh, Billy had his own problems at the time. He was, uh, had been uh, uh, being stalked. Uh, uh, Pat Garrett was on his trail, who would eventually arrest him. Um, and as some of you know from the Billy the Kid stories that have been around for decades, it was Pat Garrett that eventually killed uh, Billy the Kid. But at this particular time, Billy the Kid and a couple of several of his gang members were still on the loose, and Dirty Dave uh, hooked up with them, and they committed some crimes together. And uh, but Pat Garrett found um, a uh, a way that he was going to track him down. He and his posse, they did track uh, Billy the Kid and Dirty Dave uh, to a cabin, and uh, surrounded it so that the next morning, when one of the gang came out uh, to greet the day. Uh, the bullets started to fly, and uh, several of the outlaws were killed. Uh, uh, Billy the Kid uh, was arrested by Pat Garrett. He was later he was jailed, later escaped from jail, and that's what Pat Garrett went back on the trail to track down Billy the Kid and eventually killed him. Dirty Dave escaped, and uh, he figured that uh, his luck had run out as far as uh, the, the, the United States were concerned. So he went into Mexico. And he stayed down in Mexico and apparently lived kind of quietly. He saved a few dollars. Maybe he was just biding his time. But he still had a terrible temper and he's still not a good car player. And uh, one night, 
he was in a cantina and he was playing uh, cards with a Mexican man and he accused the man of cheating because he was losing. And uh, there were some words exchanged and uh, Dirty Dave pulled out his gun and killed him. And then he uh, got up and left and uh, was going to get on his horse and ride away. But then he realized he had forgotten something, whatever it was. And he went back inside the cantina and he was wondering why it was all dark all of a sudden. All the candles were out. Well, there were several friends of the man who were not too happy that they had just seen their friend killed in cold blood like that. And they had knives. And when Dirty Dave came in and it was dark, uh, before he could turn around and get out and realize something was up, uh, he was he was captured and the knives went to work. And for the next week in that particular village, uh, Dirty Dave's head on a pike was paraded up and down the main street. And there was music and quite the festival that, uh, that he had finally seen the last of Dirty Dave Rubaha. Well, ex Rubaha, except for his decapitated head, of course. And, um, you know, I want to mention somebody who is not you know, strictly an outlaw, and that's Doc Holliday. Now, for the most part, Doc Holliday was an outlaw in the sense that he killed several people, not a nice guy, uh, was drunk a lot and a mean, could be a mean drunk. Um, he really had few friends. There are several accounts that Doc Holliday did actually participate in a couple of uh, illegal schemes uh, and outings, but he never was arrested or convicted of anything. But for the most part, Doc Holliday, in a lot of ways, does fit the definition of an outlaw. One big exception. He had one friend, and that was Wyatt Earp. In fact, Wyatt met Doc when he was on the trail of Dirty Dave Rudabaugh and had gone into Texas and uh, came to this small village, and there was just one saloon in it, and he went in there, and there was just one guy sitting at a at a uh, table, and that was uh, Doc Holliday. And he asked Doc, he sat down with him, and asked Doc if he had seen Dirty Dave and his gang pass through, and Doc had some information. They got into a conversation, and for some reason, to this day, people are puzzled over it, but Doc and Wyatt hit it off. Uh, you know, for the rest of his life, Doc had that one friend, Wyatt Earp, and that, it was a good friend to have if if, uh, if you're killing people or, or getting into other kinds of fights and mischief and trouble. When Wyatt was ready to leave, he told him, well, he was a assistant marshal up in Dodge City, and if he ever got in any kind of trouble, needed needed help, uh, come look him up. And for all we know, that would have been the last that Doc and Wyatt saw each other, but uh, not too long after that, uh, Doc was in a card game, and um, a, a man was cheating in a way. You know, it wasn't like Doc just thought he was cheating. The guy was doing something wrong, and Doc must have been in a good mood. He, he warned the guy. He said, you know, stop doing that, okay, and we won't have any trouble. Man kept doing it. So finally, Doc told him more strongly, stop doing that. And the guy went for his gun. Uh, Doc whipped out a knife and filleted him right there on the poker table. Uh, the man died. And uh, Doc uh, thought, well, I'll just go tell the sheriff. And uh, there really wasn't that l much law in that particular little Texas town. So uh, they, he was just grabbed and put in a hotel room and the second floor, and the idea was we'll keep him there until the judge comes by, which could be a week or so, because in those days, you know, towns didn't have judges a lot of time. They had to wait for the judge to go on his circuit, and he could be a week away, two weeks away. But again, uh, uh, the, the the friends of this of this gentleman uh, were not very happy that their, their friend had been killed and that Doc was going to be able to take it easy and kick back in his hotel room for, you know, a week or two weeks. So they decided to put together a lynching party, which they did, and they started down the street towards the hotel. 
Now, Doc had the good fortune to have a girlfriend. Uh, they were off and on girlfriend, boyfriend for years. And her name was Big Nose Kate Elder. Now, Big Nose Kate, she got wind of what was going on, and she thought fast, and she went to a nearby barn, and she set it on fire. Now, she wasn't an arsonist, but uh, her strategy was good. In those days, when your towns were mostly made of wood, if you didn't put a fire out right away, it was a disaster. The whole town could go up. So the lynching party turned into a bucket brigade. While that was going on, uh, Kate grabbed a couple of horses, went over to the hotel, and yelled up to Doc. Doc opened the window, saw Kate there, saw the fire. He realized, put two and two together pretty quick. Uh, jumped out of the window onto the horse, and the two of them rode away, and they next showed up in Dodge City, checking into the hotel there. And that's when Doc and Wyatt were reunited, and for the most part, they were together uh, for, this is, you know, mid to late 1870s, uh, through the gunfight at the O.K. Corral in 1881 and, and beyond, until Doc's death. And speaking of that, uh, it's, it's kind of poignant. I just want to include here and conclude with... Uh, I want to read page three, something from 346, 347 from uh, Dodge City, uh, Wyatt Earp, Bat Masterson, and the wickedest town in the American West. And Wyatt, Doc, as some of you know, uh, especially if you've seen that Val Kilmer portray Doc Holliday in the movie Tombstone, was a very sick man, tuberculosis, all kinds of chronic lung diseases, uh, very, very sick. And, and uh, he finally ended up in, in Colorado and uh, uh, failing, his health failing, and he was only, I think, 36 years old, something like that. And uh, Wyatt had visited him, which would turn out to be his last time. Um, let me just read uh, a little bit from the book. Doc was living in Leadville, his health declining and his dependence on alcohol and now laudanum increasing. When he had his last gunfight, a man named Billy Allen, looking to earn a reputation, challenged Doc in a saloon. Doc demurred, but when Allen drew his gun, Doc drew faster, firing twice and hitting Allen in his shooting arm. Doc could have killed him, but the last thing he needed was more trouble from the law. Entering 1887, Doc was gravely ill, and he moved to Glenwood Springs, hoping the sulfurous waters could offer some relief. However, they failed to extend his life. According to Kate Elder, it was here the longtime lovers said their goodbyes. She claims to have nursed him during Doc's last weeks that autumn, which were mostly spent in bed because he was too weak to do anything else, even drink alcohol. But on November 8th, he asked a nurse for whiskey, and he drank it down in two gulps. He looked at his feet and said, Damn, this is funny, probably thinking of the prediction given to him years earlier that he would never die in bed with his boots off. By dying that day, he proved the prediction false. Dr. John Holliday was 36. A hastily arranged funeral was held that very afternoon, presided over by a local minister, W.S. Rudolph. Because Doc had died flat broke, a collection was taken up by gamblers and bartenders to pay for the expenses of the funeral and interment. Doc was buried at the Linwood Cemetery. His tombstone reads, he died in bed. Thank you for listening. This is Tom Clavin, author of Dodge City, Wyatt Earp, Bat Masterson, and the Wickedest Town in the American West. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide 
at bp.com slash investing in America.